Did you know that it is Asian American Pacific Islanders Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Carden, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meath. Plus, you can help support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA Scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native, Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. The best part of spring cleaning is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless, and then Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data, unlimited talk and text, delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone and any Mint Mobile plan and bring your own phone number. Along with your existing contacts, ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. My team here, they're on Mint Mobile and they like it. For a fraction of the cost, Mint Mobile proves to have excellent coverage with no drop calls or unsent texts. Plus, they make it super easy for me to activate my device just by following a few simple steps online. And bam, done. To get this new customer offer and the new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash literally. That's mintmobile.com slash literally. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash literally. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm good. I'm tr- I was trying to think if you and I have ever actually crossed paths. We have so many friends no. in common. I don't think no, so. Right? No, no, I would remember. All right, everybody, welcome to Literally. It is your host, Mr. Robbie Bocephius Lowe. Um, Michael Sarah is with us. What a great actor he is. Arrested Development. Hey, he's George Michael. Come on. We have George Michael on the show. It's, I'd almost rather have this George Michael than the actual departed George Michael. I don't know. They'd both be great. Anyway, Michael Sarah, super bad, um, among other things. He's got a cool movie um, out right now. Paul's Fury. He's a funny, funny, smart, wonderful actor and looking forward to getting to know him because I never met him. I've been doing a deep dive on some stuff. You've done a lot of stuff that's so cool and interesting, but I really want to talk about your Tim Hortons commercial because I'm, yeah? <laughs> I'm super obsessed with Tim Hortons. I mean, it's like, oh, you know, we yeah, go to Timmy's and get a cruelty. Get a double-double. Oh, a double double! Oh, yeah, the double double! Oh, yeah, double double! Oh, go to. How do you think Tim Horton became? He was like a rudimentary hockey player, right? He wasn't like a ne- like a huge star, right? Or was he? <sighs> I have no information about the man at all. Um, I never cared about hockey, which I'm, you know, not. I'm not popular where I'm from for that fact. I'm surprised they haven't renounced. We're never getting that little, <laughs> that little ribbon 
on your jacket or, or no, no, the medal of Canada is huge. Actually the, the, the Canadian thing they give you is gnarly. Like nobody's ever brought that anywhere around me. We're not getting it. No, I got no, no, I messed up. You know, when I was like, um, six, all my friends started playing hockey and, um, I went into karate because I didn't really realize like it was going to be such an essential part of, of like our upbringings that they were all going to have this thing that they shared that I was going to be on the outside of forever. So I completely missed the boat on hockey. I just didn't play it. And all Damn. my friends, my closest friends are, you know, like phenomenal. At it. And not only that, it's like so integrated into just them and our whole culture. Aren't you from the same town Gretzky's from? No, no. I believe he's from Brantford. Oh, and that's I'm from right. Brampton. Brampton. Oh. Yeah. 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 See, I know where Wayne Gretzky's from. I, you got to give me that. That's, I mean, listen, you <laughs> Some know things Gretzky's you can't hometown. Avoid. <laughs> yeah. So you you wanted to be a child, well, not wanted to be, you were, I, I, yes, a child actor. Of course you were. I yeah. can say that. You were a child actor. There's yeah. no disrespect in, in that. None. No, I'll own it. Yeah. I'm not a No, you'll own it. When did you start at Second City, Tor- Toronto? Oh, that, well, I did that when I was like kind of 10 years old. Jesus. And, uh, no, you did not. Yeah. Well, I wasn't performing. I, I mean, I never, what I did was like the classes, you know, you can do kind of right. classes with other kids where you're just playing, you know, improv games with other kids and it's fun. But uh, I never, like, I think if you stay with that, you could eventually kind of maybe, you know, kind of work on the stage or something. But I, I, I just did that for two years and um, I stopped. I mean, a kind of a big like problem for me was that it was in, in the city in Toronto and that's kind of like you know, an hour from where I live. So my parents would drive me in on the weekend and, you know, I, I don't know. I couldn't really yeah. keep doing it forever because of that, but I loved it. it. It was, it was great. Did you have the thing that I had when I, I started doing like kids workshops, like basically what you're describing yeah. is a kid's acting workshop. And yeah. Yeah. That's how I started. And I, I, I treated it like you'd have thought we were in a lab curing cancer <laughs> and all these other kids were like farting around and whatever and i was like get it together I, I was yeah i was like so all all over it it's probably probably the only thing in my life i've ever been serious enough about to do anything well me too yeah that, that was the only thing i ever had any traction doing you know like i mean sports were a nightmare and this acting class thing you know which were just for fun like you're saying but yeah it was like i could feel a little bit of like oh i'm, I'm succeeding in this how old were you when you were doing it i i started acting as a kid when I was like eight. Doing those kind of work workshops. Yeah, workshops in, in Ohio. But they're like, they're they're not like professional in any way, right? No. It's like a recreational, like a weekend thing with kids. Totally. Yeah, it's like exactly a summer camp. Been. Yeah, right. It's classes basically, yeah. Yeah. And, and fun. And and most most everybody in there treated it like that. I, yeah. you'd have thought I was <laughs> prepping for my audition for a multi-year contract to, well, to whatever. You know, and I didn't know this at the time. And I, I had no, um, I had no like visualization beyond that of any, any like professional acting work. It was, that was like the end in itself. But, but that actually to me was the foot, like the first step on the path of actually acting because I had a teacher who, who, who was great and, and extremely encouraging. And um, he's kind of the reason I even, you know, got an agent because he kind of kept me back one day after the class and was like with my mom and said, Michael's great. You know, maybe you guys, maybe you should like try and get an agent and he could kind of get some work and you could put some money aside for the future. And that was kind of the first like thing that I, like time that idea was even introduced. 
So that ended up being kind of like an entry point for me into into my career, even though it wasn't, you know, it didn't feel like that or it wasn't, that wasn't the goal at all. It's sort of the same for, for me. I, I didn't ever really, I, w- I knew I wanted to do it, but I didn't, I was so young, it didn't equal making a living. No. It wasn't even a, a thought. Yeah. Really. No, but, but what you were saying about sort of um, taking it really seriously, I remember like, I don't know if you did, we kind of culminated every year with like a performance for us, for, yeah. for, the, for the parents. Yes, of course. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so you would, um, you would read for parts, you know, because they would kind of make a little script that, and then you would, they'd be like, okay, well, now we're going to assign the roles. And, you, you know, there were a couple juicy parts, like, like the villain. And every kid yes. would read for it, you know. And I did have a thing where I was like, I want that fucking part. I want that part. Yes. You know? and, and I got it. And uh, that yes. was a thrill. I mean, that was like one of the first thrills of my professional life when they told me I got that part. I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I always lost out to um, Noel Schaefer. He was the he was the, my nemesis. He was yeah. my There's a lot before of there was a John Stamos. There was a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before there no. was a Brad Pitt. Yeah, it was uh, it was that guy, mm-hmm. Music Man. That was the big one. They were doing the oh. Music Man. Oh, you guys really went yeah. for it with, with big productions. We were doing little made up plays. Now these were like. I mean, I was so lucky to grow up in in a time and place where, like, community theater was like a big deal. I mean, wow. it was adult, adult. You know, they there were kid parts in it, so that's oh, where yeah. I, what I would audition for. But they were adult productions, oh, yeah. like full the, show, full oh full show. Dayton Playhouse, Wright State University, University of Dayton, Kenley Play. There was a thing called the Kenley Players, which was a traveling summer stock, and they would do. Cincinnati, Dayton, Columbus, uh, Detroit, whatever the hell they were. And they would do two weeks each city and do like Carousel, Music Man, South Pacific. And they would center it around whatever hot TV star was on their hiatus. So you'd get like Mm. Henry Winkler in- Mm. Come through. You know. Wow. Yeah, whatever. And it was hilarious. Vincent Price as Fagan Mm. in Oliver. And it was- Exciting. And to me- Oh, it was like- That's incredible. The highest of yeah. high art to go to the Absolutely. Memorial Hall and yeah. see Sandy Duncan and Peter Pan. I was like, I am in the I am in the middle of show business. <laughs> and would they do kind of? Was it like a run or was it like a one off show? Their run was all summer, with multiple multiple cities and probably a week in each city. <laughs> but they call fun. it the bus and truck thing. Yeah. They used to call it. That's cool. Um, that was super fun. Yeah. Super fun. I never got I never got one of those shows. That was the big time. Yeah. That would be fun. I mean, it must be interesting doing a doing a touring show like that and being in a different house every week and the whole show must change depending on where you are and the shape of the room and everything. They're like, remember when the marching band comes in and music man? Well, we don't have a marching band here because we're in <laughs> right. Akron. So we're gonna do something else. <laughs> it's much smaller. Yeah, we can still think it up. Um and wait, you were also I, I need to know about all your commercials. I, mine was a Coke commercial. That was the first thing I did. That's that huge. First pro. That's huge. huge. Dude, not only was it Coke, huge, I mean, yeah. it was the first commercial made specifically for the Super Bowl. That's ever. huge. Oh, well, that's what I arrived. Yeah, that's that's a biggie. Oh, I, and I had a really great part. I yeah. came out and pointed yeah. at the sky. That's, that uh, was a showstopper for me. How old were you? I By then, I was 13. Oh, that's a fantastic part. I mean, it was fun when you could be on commercials and, you know, back in the day when um, when we were all watching TV all the time, you know, and then you, your friends would see you in the commercial. That was like great. I mean, and kids in school are like, are you in a, are you on TV? 
You know, they'd see the commercial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, you think about there were three television networks. Yeah. The amount of people that would see your commercial would equal anything you've ever done on a streamer. Today. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And they play those all the time. I mean, they would play them kind of every commercial break. It would come up. And you could kind of get high every time it comes on TV. Like, it's on. It's on. It's great. <laughs> I remember because I wanted to record it. And it was before, in my case, before DVRs. Yeah, that's hard to pull off. I would literally try to <laughs> guess what show it would be on and yeah. sit there with a Super 8 movie camera pointed at <laughs> the screen. Just film the TV. <laughs> that was a long time with your hand on the trigger. Yeah. That's a good way to do it, though, because you could kind of get, you could get it like within a half a second, you could go and fire. And he yeah. goes. Um, <laughs> now, did you, did you get to really work with the Pillsbury Doughboy? I did. I mean, I, I did a whole- What was he like? Outstanding. I mean, professional in a word. Mm-hmm. That was that was for me. That was my big Coca Cola moment because I mean, exciting. To yes, be, to be to be in you know with a recognized uh, icon. Yeah, I, I didn't get to work with Ronald <laughs> McDonald. The Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah. He's up there. And the laugh. <laughs> yeah, I poked him. No. Yes. Get out. <laughs> yeah, you it's just me. Poke- I'm the star. I'm the only live action person in the commercial. Well, okay, walk me through this. This is I. <laughs> and by I the way, those the, the, the Criterion only... series extras. In this. <laughs> yeah, those are the only two commercials I ever did, and I went on probably a thousand commercial auditions. Same, but yeah, I mean, it was just crushing. And eventually, I I was like ten, but I said to my agent, like, no more commercials. I'm only reading for TV roles now. <laughs> or like, or, oh, movie, no movies more only. Com- yeah, because that was a whole realm, and there were a couple kids. There were like three kids getting all the parts because they just had that thing, you know, like the commercial child energy. And I just, I couldn't get there myself. And I was just not booking anything. I was like, this is getting so debilitating, <laughs> depressing. Just soul crushed at 10 years yeah. old. Yeah, yeah. Not getting the, you know, the new Lego commercial. But you showed them, you got the Lego movie later on. So to hell with yeah, them. Yeah, hell with them. And I, I kind of took a bit of a pride in it too. And I was like, no more, com- I'm just reading for, you know, real stuff, <laughs> substantial stuff now. No more. <laughs> No more of these like smiley, cheesy acting things. It really is demoralizing. I mean, in, it's in, hard. I had about the same batting average. It felt like I probably did 200 auditions for commercials and got three of them. Yeah. It was brutal. Yeah. Absolutely just brutal. <clears throat> I mean, I wouldn't have continued as an actor, I think, or attempting to get parts if I hadn't booked the very first thing I ever went on. You know, it was like the first job I ever went out for, the Tim Hortons commercial that I booked. And I mean, that gave me so much fire in my engine i was just like okay let's go you know if i hadn't booked that and just it was just a bunch of rejections to start off i would have thrown in the towel i think you know because just it's just hard especially for a kid did you think it was like going to the super bowl every year like people (laughs) that think that's going to happen to them if they get that lucky yeah yeah i'm gonna book everything i go out on (laughs) yeah i'm amazing and then you know i always think about you know making that next step did you ever go through like whether it's a function of you know awkward phase or uh, for me it was um when i was 15 16 17 no you you always hired 18 year olds to play younger cuz right. they could work them more so i didn't yeah. work at all and i thought okay it's over i'm done i'm i'm toast my career's over right yeah i never thought of that well i was on a tv series for those years you know, that I got hired on when I was like 13. So that kind of pulled me through that, that odd, odd pocket. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I never even thought of that. But that makes I mean, yeah, you're kind of in an unhirable age there, aren't you? Because they're like, well, we can get an 18-year-old. 
How old were you on Arrested Development? I think I was like 13 when I got the pilot for that, or 14, something like that, yeah. I mean, that show is, as you know, I mean, it's it's the Mount Rushmore of genius. You're so, everybody is just a killer, an absolute murderer. Did you watch the show when it was on TV or kind of later? I did. You did? Oh, wow. That's amazing, man. Wow. Well, I love, I love, thank you for saying that. I mean, that's really nice to hear. And it's so nice to know that you were watching because it was, uh, we didn't have a lot of viewership. Because it was so ahead of its time. It makes perfect sense that people didn't really yeah. get it. It's, it's true. It, yeah. And it was sort of, it was sort of like, it wasn't really designed for that kind of like episodic uh, weekly, you know, you know, TV just because it builds on itself, you know, so much. So it's not really built for like, you know, it, to attract a new audience from week to week and like snowball because if people jump in on episode five, they're kind of like, what's, what's even going on? Yeah. I, th- and that's what obviously I loved about it was the, how self-referential it was. And just the, some of yeah. the, the runners and the bits were so obscure unless you had been watching. Yeah. You, the watching closely. The yeah. I mean, even if closely. you're watching closely, you can miss stuff, you know, it's, it's kind of like hidden. A lot, a lot of the best jokes are totally hidden. Just whenever they, whenever they said your name, I laughed out loud. It just yeah. something about somebody being called George Michael made me laugh. It just really, and when you think about it, it's well, of course, why not? It's just a very similar name, but the fact that it was also the iconic name of George Michael just was so yeah. funny to me. Yeah. Did you ever get to meet your namesake, George Michael? I wish. Oh. Oh, I did. Oh boy, I had George Michael. Oh, bro. <laughs> um, I we we were buds. We had a good we had a good time. We had a good time together. My favorite George Michael story is I was young, really super young, and and I was obsessed with the Lakers during the Showtime era. Mm. And I finally get into the locker room to meet them, my heroes. Wow. That's pretty cool. And they're and they're so excited to see me, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, wow, they know me. Isn't this That's cool? That's fantastic. And then they uh asked me for an one one of them asked, I can't remember who it was, asked me for my autograph and I sign it and they got really disappointed because it turns out he thought I was George Michael. <laughs> oh no. Oh my God. That is so funny. Yeah. You know, that I mean, rel- I kind of get it. The hair, <laughs> the, the the sort of five o'clock shadow that that era. Yeah, I, I'm friends with Max Winkler, who's Henry Winkler's son. Of course, yes. And um, Max has an amazing story where he was with. I'll just tell his anecdote. Why not? Please. Um, he was he was at like Dustin Hoffman's house. I think he was friends with Jake Hoffman, Dustin's son. Mm-hmm. And he was there. I think you know. And I'm sure he had met Dustin Hoffman kind of through his father, like over the years, and you know, or here and there, you know, he he had met him, but. They're there. It's kind of like New Year's Eve or something, maybe. And Dustin Hoffman comes up to Max, who's directing, you know, and is just starting out as a director. He's kind of in his 20s. And Dustin Hoffman goes like, how are you, man? How have you been? And Max goes, I'm great. I'm great. And he goes, and Dustin Hoffman says to him, why haven't we worked together yet? And Max's heart is going like, boom, 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 boom. And he's like, I don't know. I, mean, I would love to. And Dustin's like, why don't you want to go for a drive? Why don't we go for a drive in my car? And he goes, well, yeah, yeah, I would love to. <laughs> a few minutes, he goes up to like chain, put his shoes on or something. And Jake comes up to Max laughing and he goes, my dad just came over to me and said, I'm going for a drive with Spike Jones. Oh <laughs> my God. That's so sad. <laughs> I once had an entire meeting, a lunch meeting with Danny DeVito and realized halfway through that he thought I was Matt Dillon. That is painful. And, and then you go, do, do you I? Do? Yeah. How do you? The, yeah. Because, <laughs> right? How do you how let do you burst the down? Bubble? Yeah. Because he's going to be mortified when you- when you bring that news to his attention. And, and look, let's face it. I'm a coward. So I didn't say anything. Oh. And I was bailed out by the when the real Matt Dillon arrived at the meeting. Oh, God. And so then Danny had to do the math. And oh. it was uh, 
and had to do a little bit of back backpedaling. Back yeah, and acted like it was all we we acted like it was all perfectly. It's all normal. cool. Yeah, no, you guys can do a lot of backbending to make that feel real normal. <laughs> and then just get in your car and cringe all the way home. Looking for a sparkling clean bathroom without so much hassle? Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner is here to revolutionize your cleaning future. Just spray today, rinse tomorrow, and voila! Enjoy a sparkling clean shower and tub without any scrubbing. It's the secret to a hassle-free, clean bathroom that many are discovering. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner has proven its effectiveness on shower glass, fixtures, tiles, and more, ensuring everything shines with minimal effort. This product has gained a loyal following thanks to its once-a-week application that makes it a standout in the cleaning aisle. Join the ranks of satisfied users who enjoy more me time and less clean time with Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner, available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. It's the perfect choice for anyone wanting to simplify their cleaning routine. Don't miss out on a chance to transform your bathroom cleaning with just one application a week. Pick up a bottle of Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner today and join the thousands who've already made the switch to Effortless Clean. Hey, listeners. Ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8th, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Who do you get mistaken for today? Anybody? Do you have do you have people that be like, ah? No, I don't often get mistaken. I used to get Jesse Eisenberg all the time. Oh, yeah, I can see that. And, a little. and, yeah. and I met Jesse and he, you know, said that he gets me about as much. I don't know why. I mean, I really, I don't know. I guess we're just in the same pocket. But um, I even got mistaken for him by people who knew him <laughs> and had worked with him. And they're like, what's, what's your problem? Come on. It's me. You know. <laughs> You're like, tell me about the social network. Yeah. <laughs> you're so good in that like well yeah. thank you thank you yeah yeah i i'm i have to tell people that i wasn't in footloose yeah whatever even you know. now even now i was at a dodger game last night the guy was talking about <laughs> i love that early movie you did taps <laughs> you know it was a really bad one for me once was um i don't know if you ever had a version of this i was in treeport working on a movie years ago and um i was in a restaurant and um i think super bad had, had just come out and the guy who was our waiter, so I think the situation, was, which I figured out later, was like, 
some of the staff recognized me. Oh, that's the guy from Superbad. I was there with a friend of mine. And our waiter, I think, hadn't seen it. And he was like, well, who, you know, who? And, and they were like, yeah, go ask him if he's the guy from Superbad. So they enlisted him, you know, but he didn't, know, hadn't seen the movie. So he came over and he looked at my friend and, you know, and he goes, hey, hey, aren't you, you're from that movie, man. You're from that movie. And that was such a weird situation because we were like, what is happening? And how do we, you know, just, how do you, yeah, you, how do yeah, we move I mean, past I'll, it? How, you know, <laughs> and the guy either has to lie yeah, my friend was yeah, so confused. Yeah, I am the guy. We were doing the math live in real time. And I said to him, I think I, this was my attempt at breaking the ice and sort of bringing us all home, but it made it worse. But I said to him, I was like, have you seen the movie? Mm. <laughs> and then because he, he, because he hadn't, he got so defensive. And he, and he started snapping at me. He was like, yeah, of course I've seen it. What's your problem? What, you know, what's your problem? And then the whole situation oh, got so ugly and weird. And there was just no way to reel ourselves out of it, you know. We all felt terrible. <laughs> Such a great movie, though. Super bad. It's it's. <laughs> I, I I think super bad. I think your guys's work, the two of you, Jonah and you, are is just beyond belief. I mean, I, I, I'm I, I'm not kidding Thanks, when I say I really am not that I think you guys should have gotten nominated for Oscars. I'm not kidding. <laughs> That's so sweet. Well, do you have a feeling like that movie is so long ago for for me? And I I guess you might right. have this with some things you worked on where you have basically no memory of. The process. I mean, yes. I think it's really sweet to hear you say that. And I, I, I kind of, you know, I can kind of take the compliment because I feel so separated from the world. It doesn't, I don't even know what I did or what you're even talking yeah. about, but, but I appreciate you saying yes. it. But, but I, I think totally that it was a it. really, it was a very conducive environment to, uh, to good work. Cause we all just felt really relaxed. And I, I know that was going on. Like we all, I didn't feel like we were making a movie. Really. It felt like we were all hanging out, having a good time. Well, that's what it felt like. It felt like yeah. it was like such an authentic hang you like your i'm hanging with these characters yeah yeah they yeah i mean and all credit you know for that goes to all those guys you know seth and evan and greg matola i mean it was so relaxed i mean and not only that we felt so supported like i would be hanging out you know during scenes that i wasn't in hanging out at the monitors and you know and i was like my first feature film really but i felt you know by like a week in i felt comfortable enough to like make suggestions you know and Make pitches mm-hmm. to like scenes I wasn't in. I mean, at first I kind of did it like dipping a toe, like, is this even allowed? And it was so embraced. You know, they would laugh and they would be like, oh yeah, let's do that. It was just so embracing and encouraging of an environment. You know, it was very magical like that. And it's funny because their their process, Evan and, and Seth, the way they make movies is so, I don't want to say it's on the fly because the scripts are always really great, but when you're on the set, they pitch wildly all the right. time, yelling yeah. stuff out. Yeah, total total curveballs. Yeah, just Change like the whole scene. Yeah, yeah. You're like, okay. Um, I did a little yeah. thing for them in a, a movie called The Interview. Yeah, and I was just blown away That's with a crazy how movie. Uh, it's insane. Well, all, <laughs> and the dude, fallout of one, that movie, dude. It it almost brought the country to war. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's a fascinating story. That whole situation. So the interview for those of you who may have forgotten or didn't see it was Franco and Seth Rogen playing hack journalists basically that go to interview Kim Jong Un <laughs> yeah. of North Korea but this is pre North Korea really getting in the news mis- saber yeah. rattling yeah and they the North Koreans were angry they hacked the studios they cyber attacked <laughs> yeah. yes the studio yeah. 
it was literally an literally an international incident. Yeah, this stupid little fun, funny. That was crazy comedy. And by the time and it happened before the the sh- the movie had come out, unfortunately. So by the time it came out, the notion that it was even a movie nobody cared about. It was all about it was the, the story, the yeah. drama, and the intrigue. And yes. I can remember b- being on the there was some premiere we did somewhere, and I remember Seth had to like travel. With an armed guard, sure, and, yeah, and no, well, you they, don't want to get the they, smear, death threats. You don't want to get the smear, the, yeah. poison, the poisonous smear across your cheek that makes you die in five minutes. The poison smear, that's right. They do that in the other, yeah, exactly. But that was going on. It was a real thing. That, it's pretty scary. And of all people in the world, Seth, really? <laughs> I mean, like the most harmless human <laughs> you could ever come across. It was so crazy that. They were at the center of all that. That must have been a fascinating movie to be a part of when it was coming out. Because, well, what did it eventually? Because basically, like it, it, Kim Jong Un was saying that if it played in theaters here, that was like an act of war, right? He was going to consider that, right? Like, yes, it shouldn't even be shown in theaters. Yes, and was and it, or was it not? It was, to my recollection, but it was again. Yeah. This is the one of the <laughs> things that, like, my memory of it is is so foggy, and it's yeah. also insane. It that is, yeah, I don't remember what's true and not true because all of it sounds like it's a yeah. made up story. I know it's so you, insane. You can't believe that that, that it happened. Um, just circling back to Arrested, that cast. What was the vibe like on that oh, on that show? You're amazing. so young though; you don't really know. You're like 13. You, you've, yeah, my my like perception of it and my experience of it was um, loving loving the cast, loving the atmosphere and the sh- and being so excited to be on the show. So proud of the show. And me and Alia, who played my, my cousin, who, you know, we were the two youngsters on the set. And um, you know how it is when you're a child actor, you kind of have to, uh, you know, like zip off to do your schoolwork in between scenes. It's a lot of work. And But the, the real bummer for us was like, there's such a hang going on. Like all the guys were all chain smoking and hanging out at the trailer and laughing. And we got to like sneak in where we could, but... Um, it was sort of out of reach in a way because we had to go to our, you know, schooling. And she and I had each other and we're like best friends to this day. So we had each other. And but and we did get to like hang with the guys. And they, I mean, at least when we were shooting, you know, and they were always, um, it, they never censored themselves. I mean, they were, it was very much like Big Brother vibe. Really encouraging. You know, everybody was always really, really encouraging with us. But really, it was a tough like room to hold your own in. Just in terms Oof. of just, just even if you ever ventured to like maybe try and say something funny about the, with these guys or something, it took a lot of nerve because they're performing at such a high level and such a rate. It just makes your head spin. You know, you're just taking everything in. Just we just basically would watch them and laugh all the time. You know, it was just a lot of laughing. Will is so amazing. I mean, yeah. That might be one of the great comic characters of all time. Yeah, to, I mean, it might be right. Oh yeah, I, th- I mean. It's crazy what he's doing on that show. It's cra- <laughs> literally crazy. It's actually insane. <laughs> it's so huge. Yeah, it's so it's so, so and huge. It's, it's funny and so his like rhythm and the little pockets that he finds things in are miraculous. So uh, yeah, he kills me. I mean, you know, seeing Will at th- as a thirteen year old guy and just worshiping him completely. You know, and I, you know, it's one of those things where I worshipped all them and. Um, you know, you have like memory. I don't know if you have this with people that you worked with that you love, but you like some of the most deeply embedded memories in my like brain and in my DNA are moments where you kind of have us like get a laugh out of one of them or just have a successful moment, whatever it is. 
they go so far your whole like just heart explodes and you're like tattooing it onto your memory and like what did i do right there that was yeah (laughs) i hit on something good you know what i mean like oh for sure i can remember every single time i ever made david or will laugh and you know what it's like it's like some brilliant comedians are not the most generous laughers either yeah those guys seem to be like they're, they want everybody to be as funny, but, but it's you can't really compete with, with guys like that. You can't, no. And they won't fake laugh either, though. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah if you get one, it's a win. It's a win with them. Yeah, and you know, I kind of wanted to ask you, actually, because uh, I was thinking about it before we were talking today, and, you know, we both had kind of a similar start of our careers, and I wonder if there was, like, a person or a couple people who were maybe actors who, who were really instrumental to you or who, yeah, you know, like, really kept you going in a way. Were there a couple? It's it's so funny you say that because whenever I get a chance to talk to younger actors, I love to do it because my memory of my life, was, as you know, can be very different than the reality of your life. Memories and reality are always don't always line up. But my memory was I had idols and icons that I wanted to emulate, like literally wanted to emulate. Like I knew where they lived. I knew how they lived, <laughs> what movies they did. Yeah. I knew what kind of shirts they wore. Right. Um, you know, and they would be Warren Beatty and Robert Redford and, you know, people like yes. that. And But they were never in my life. They were never really in my orbit. And no. so I felt like I, I made it up as best I could on my own. And by the time I got some traction, people came into my life who were – there was a long period where I was very close with Lorne Michaels. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, you know, an amazing mentor. Yeah, have. and and Lauren taught me so much about comedy and producing and how to navigate the world and how to live. Actually, no one lives better than Lauren. Takes a lot of money, but but no no one lives better than Lauren. Lauren taught me how to get a lot of overhead. Basically, is what I'm trying to say here. Um, <laughs> how did and, you? How did you? Um, how did you guys? How did that first start? I mean, what was the what was the starting point of that relationship? I did SNL one year, and, and he just liked. I you. had it. And we we just yes we just hit it off. I had a particularly good show. I bailed myself out of a. There was a meltdown live in one of the sketches. Somebody missed a cue. Oh um, wow! The somebody was me. Um, what and, happened? It threw the whole machine out of out of whack. Oh yeah, it's it was me and Phil Hartman. Oh, that's amazing. He played a character, um, Mace. <laughs> it's kind of a reoccurring character that he played where he played a really a really nasty convict and he was in a cell and he liked when the spring chickens were put in. <laughs> and of course, I was the, you know, pretty boy spring yeah. chicken brought into Mace's cell and, he, and you know, he was, you know, wanted to do terrible things to me. And the whole sketch led to Mace's big joke. Yeah. And I, I screwed up the setup. I screwed up oh. the setup. So now there's, there's no joke. There's, There's no, no joke. To, no, to way to set, no way to fix no it. Way to, no way to end the sketch. It wasn't oh like it was in the God. middle of the sketch. I have to watch this. And I That's found your first some, time ever doing uh, SNL. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And I found some ad lib. Whoa. You salvaged it. And got an even bigger laugh than, Are you the, kidding the, me? than the joke got a dress. Oh, that's incredible. And, and I came off stage and, and Lauren goes, well, if it isn't Harry Houdini. Wow. Became friends from from that. It's impressive, but, um, man. I, I mean, how did you do that? You just were in a total corner, and you had a survival instinct. Yeah, that's exactly it. Total yeah. survival. I did. I didn't think of it. It, it just it was happened. Not like I was thinking. You're like blacked. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. I blacked out. I remember the adrenaline. I went out of my own body. Oh my god! 
And the next thing I know, I was saying whatever the ad lib was, and someone just showed you the way. I was so grateful because he was looking at me like we're we're on me live TV, we're screwed. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know what? Super I, gnarly. I, I've had moments like that on stage doing like a play where um, something gets messed up, and uh, I was doing a play oh. with Kieran Culkin for a long time. We did it kind of twice, but we were doing a run, and yeah. Um, yeah. And I messed up once and Kieran, he's like, it's like a high wire trapeze artist. You know, you're like, oh shit, you know, I'm falling. And he just grabbed me. Like that happened several times where he saved the whole show. I mean. So exciting though. That's fantastic. I mean, the next five, 10 minutes are charged. And the audience, I think, doesn't know why they're charged. But like my heart was racing, you know, and like, uh, I think the whole next 10 minutes were like some of the most exciting you know, times on stage I've ever had because your heart is racing. You're in this physiological state and you're doing the scene. It's just so fun and, and you're just so grateful. You're psychically speaking to each other and saying, holy shit, that was close. Thank you so much. But, you know, and uh, it, those moments. Isn't that really funny? Exciting. You are that you are literally having that conversation. Yeah. On stage. And you're exchanging you it with believe that? Too. Yeah, yeah. You're seeing it all in each other's eyes, that whole conversation. It's really exciting. Yeah. After... The West Wing, Aaron Sorkin and I went to London and did a revival of A Few Good Men. And I played Caffey, the, the Tom Cruise part. And was it opening night? Yes. Was, was that was a play opening... before before it was a movie? It was a play. Aaron wrote it when he was 24. Oh, I didn't know that. One of the most successful plays of its time. Right. Um, and it did not run long, but it was like, it was like an it thing. And everybody yeah. came and bought the rights and it was a bidding and war. The movie. Yeah. And, and then the movie, but people forget it was a play and it's a great play. I mean, a uh. great, it just is foolproof. If you just uh, right. say the words and don't fall over, it's, yes. it's foolproof. Yeah. Um, but on, and in England, like in Broadway, as you know, the critics can come anytime during previews. And oftentimes you don't know when they're there. Yeah. In England, they only come on opening night. Oh, right. Yeah, because I like it better in previews when you just you just go out and you, ignorance is bliss. You just keep doing it. So it's opening night. Packed house pr- critics. I have someone on the stand. Caffey is doing one of his. And isn't it true that the night of the third, you offered a code red? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and the, I look at the actor and his eyes are as big as saucers. <laughs> and I'm like, that's an interesting choice. And then I realized I've I've jumped three pages ahead, yep. and it's all plot. Yeah, like there's no play. There's, that happens. I've, <laughs> there's no way to end the show because so, all this information. So right. I had to circle. I had to oh, thread. God. Yeah. So get what you're. You know. You to thread edit, your way. Edit, into edit, it. edit in lo- in real time. Edit the whole text, which is insanely complicated. That's crazy. I I've had the thing happen where you loop back. Yeah. You're saying the same thing you already said. Oh, no. Oh, no. You jump back three pages, and then you're like, oh, shit. We're like in an Ouroboros, like, and the audience is already here, and you just got to quickly get out of that and, like, just. Have you ever had the audience, like, (laughs) revolt in the theater? No, no, no. I had a guy, I I heard a guy in the audience have a seizure. (laughs) Okay, yeah. And that would do it. That became the whole focus of the whole audience for that moment. It sounded like someone had been stabbed. We, like, excuse me, I'm trying to act here. Get your health in order. Yeah. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. 
They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone. And an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash rob. That's harrys.com slash rob for a $3 trial set. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to Literally long enough, you'll know that I am a big believer in getting the help you need. Therapy has been a big, big, big part of my life and something I think we should be all doing as needed just like checking the oil on your car. I've spoken about this and we all carry around different stressors, big and small. We keep them bottled in and it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get the things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Rob Lowe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Rob Lowe. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance EVs. They're certainly out here there. But when I when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little, little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash ev6 kia movement that inspires i did a play with christopher walken and (laughs) he's a great theater actor i mean his theater his theater credentials are even more impressive than his movie credentials and but he has a one of his things is um (laughs) He doesn't like to, what's the word? Project. Well, let's just say he doesn't like to project. He doesn't like to be loud. 
and he he doesn't really want to work for the audience, which I get. I get. I totally get it. He wants he he wants the audience to come to him. So he would often go have my. It was a it was a um, it was three sisters. It was a Chekhov play. He would go down stage center and turn his back. <laughs> To the audience, uh, lo- he loved turning his back to the audience, and then would talk like, the, you know, yeah. he would do the dialogue yeah. to you. You can't even hear him on stage, and and eventually you would just hear you would hear you speak oh. up, yeah, yeah, and then right. finally you'd hear people. We can't hear you, yeah, and then we, we came off stage and he goes, "I like it when the audience gets involved like a ball game." <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. I, have you ever done a play where people where you, you have an actor who keeps jumping on your line? Oh no! It's a complicated problem to address because you know, in theater, like there's a thing where you're you really can't like there could be a very slippery slope with even if it's a technical thing like that with like giving any kind of note to your you know to your co-stars. You don't want to note. You don't want to give any kind of note, and a thing like that could be taken as a note. Yes. You know, if you, if you say, could you let me, you know, get it out? What I'm saying, like, and it, it becomes a little bit chronic. So I, yeah, I get real pickled sometimes in those situations where I just have no idea what to do. And I just ask everyone I know, what should I do? And they give me all different advice and I don't take any of it and I just lose my mind. I, that would be a really, I don't know how you would navigate <laughs> what that. What do you do? Yeah. I mean, what do you well, how about do? about if do? it's a, if it's a comedy and they're stepping on your laugh? Yeah. 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 That's, that's a complicated problem. That's kind of that's, their problem, though. I mean, that's kind of that. You know, that that kind of that kind of makes them look a little awkward. I think, you know, but because they're talking through the laugh, you know, which is like then people can't hear what they're saying. But when someone's jumping on your line like five words before you're done, and, it, and then it kind of makes you speed up. You know, you kind of anticipate it. It's it's a weird oh. problem. it's a weird problem. Yeah, those things. I find those things tough to navigate a little bit. Those like those dynamics. But I, you know, Kieran Culkin again gave me really great advice in a situation like that where he said. Um, you know, because I think I'm a very, I think there's maybe different kind of actors, and I think I'm a very dependent type of performer where I really, I really feed off of off of of people, yep. and um, I kind of can't mm-hmm. do it all on my own. You know, or I'm not that kind of actor where you just kind of you're the whole engine regardless. You're doing your own thing. You're looking straight ahead. I really kind of for me, it's all about the other actors. Yep. And then you could get too, de- you know, where you're kind of too dependent on what they're doing and it throws you off. So Kieran was like, you got to go into business for yourself. That was his expression, which I think is oh. an expression of like uh, something Muhammad Ali said or something. Well, that, but, that is a great quote. Right? I know. Oh, re- it's great. Yeah. It's like you got to just, in that situation, you just don't depend. You just got to be on your own, do your thing and just find your own way. You got to go <laughs> into business. Uh, it's so good. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm still figuring so, out how to achieve that. But tell yeah. me, I got to know a little bit about the Barbie movie. Yeah, I'm here in London right now. We're doing it here. Oh wow, yeah. it's fun, man. I mean, um, it's gonna. So be the Barbie crazy. movie is it's it's uh, Greta Gerwig is directing, yeah. and it's Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. Yes, is, yeah. Barbie and Ken. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of like weaselled my way into it. Um, my manager called me and said. There's this Barbie movie, you know, it's Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, and it's shooting in London for three months. So I told them you probably wouldn't want to do it. And I was like, what? What? What, what are you talking? Call them back. <laughs> I've been like, I mean, that checked every single box possible for me. And I was, I always dreamt about having some kind of job bring me here. I never have had a chance to work here or live here ever. And I always kind of had this London fantasy. So I was like, man, get them on the phone. What is wrong with you? 
it is a fantasy working yeah. there. It is. It's the best. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're. T- I'm totally falling in love with London. It's. It's great. And uh, yeah, the movie. The movie is fun. It's. Um. It's going to be really funny and weird. And it's. It's. it's What's cool. the tone? It's insane. I mean, the tone. It's very experimental and uh, funny. I don't know. And you know, but also philosophical and uh, and 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 really and clever and. Um, I think it's going to be fun. I, I'm excited about it. I mean, the script was amazing. And then on set, you're kind of seeing it come to life and be like, wow, it's even surpassing the uh, script. Wow. That's... Yeah. It'll be fun. I keep... I saw some pictures in the, the press this week of them in their roller skating outfits. <laughs> yeah. The outfits like, are incredible. The outfits Unbelievable, are, yeah. right? Yeah. It's Jacqueline Duran is the uh, costume designer who's... You know, she's like mm-hmm. worked with Mike Lee for, for years and years since... Uh, Topsy turvy, and but she's also doing all these giant movies now, like you know, like Cinderella and these kind of big Disney productions. And she's like amazing. I love being around people like her. I love her so much. Like she's just so cool and so calm, and she's churning out these insane amounts, uh, numbers of of looks, and they're all like incredible. And you, she's just this like just one of those people that is just completely in control, running running that department. I love people like that. Let me ask you this without a spoiler alert. Are you playing G.I. Joe? My joke for a long time was telling people that I was playing Ken and um, nobody bought it. Nobody bought it. I want to play G.I. Joe with Kung Fu Grip. (laughs) That was my big toy. God, did I love my G.I. Joe with Kung Kung, Fu. It was just an arm that did this. (laughs) It's all all it did. (laughs) I was all about the Ninja Turtle. There were a couple. There was a run of Ninja Turtle toys that had abilities like you could like press a button on their chest and their head would spin or duck into Ooh. their body a lot of fun <laughs> that that's that movie's out there for, to be for, for the making there's got to be another one being <laughs> got to be another one in the in the pike yeah, yeah exactly no, that one the original ninja turtles movie from the 90s i can't wait to watch that with my son that's one of those movies yes, like, yeah what is it tell me what you're watching how old is he now two no he's just 10 months so he's we're oh, not Jesus. watching anything with him yeah he's not watching anything no. i don't know why i thought he was two well can i give you my my list Go-tos? please 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 but it but now they're dated my kids are 28 years old now but still well, that's I think okay I th- no there's no there's no era that i'm hanging out in we still get together and snuggle and watch them though you know even though they are 22 oh, that's, that's um, lovely you have a son uh, and a, what do you what do you have i have two i have two sons two boys um, my uh, my oldest son is a a, a lawyer um, uh, investment in the investment business, and then my youngest is co created, and it is starring with me in this new Netflix show that I'm doing. So I get to work with my youngest son. That's which incredible, is really, man! It's really cool. You must be so pleased with that and so proud. I'm knocking on wood every day. I'm the luckiest man. That's and, and cool, man. It goes. All the cliches, by the way, are true. It goes so fast, man. Like, yeah. You just drink is, every second in. Yeah, yeah. Every second. And like you, one of my greatest um, memories of having them as kids was like taking them with me on location and where we get to grow up as a, as a family all over the world and see all the things we saw. And that we, they spent time in, in London as little kids when I was there. And so here's my, here's my list of- Yeah, go on. Number one, with a bullet, without a question, land before time. Oh yeah, but, but 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 that's so intense. Yes, it is. It's really <laughs> gnarly. See, you remember it. It's I do. Well, you know, there's a character in that that has my last name, Sarah, the Triceratops. That's right. 
Because because Triceratops is spelled like Ceratops. Did anybody ever call you Ceratops from that? Was that like no. a thing? <laughs> no. Sarah. But oh, that movie. Sarah. Oh, that movie. But that is a fantastic movie. But that one, man, it's frightening. But here's my thing about this. I used to get in fights with other parents. They would encourage their kids to watch children's shows that were absolute trash. Yeah, no, I don't want to do that. No, I want to introduce taste right away. Right away. Yeah. Right away. And and if it's <laughs> a little if they're if they're having to punch above their weight emotionally a little bit, sure. So be it. So yeah, I have a nightmare. <laughs> have a nightmare. You're going to have plenty of them, kid. <laughs> Learn life, it. Life is a nightmare. Life is a nightmare. I have a couple. Of dying dinosaur mothers. <laughs> all that happened. I mean, Land Before Time is pretty much a true story. That's all it is. I mean, tell awesome. me that didn't have something like that had to have happened. Just like that. It's such a good movie. It's great. It, yeah. I no, love but that. I'm already like, as far as the taste thing, I'm already, you know, I, I don't really want to make my guy listen to like bad kids music you know there's all this like kids songs that are my i'm like why can't he get right away into the good stuff i don't see why we have to go this whole detour into bad music well you just go and and do you know what's the the, the beatles lullaby which is great good night good night good yeah. night amazing okay, we'll do songs the beatles. yeah we'll start with the start with the beatles um that's accessible enough for a child kenny loggins return return to Pooh corner <laughs> Is an amazing kid song. Beach Boys have a lot of good uh, kids. Beach do. Boys have yeah. a lot of good ones. I mean, you could do like your 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 mixtape, and you yes. and you avoid all the Barney singalongs. That's stuff. what we're doing. We're, we're yeah, you know. I just yeah, I want to get right away into the good stuff. But the other thing I'm really looking forward to watching with him when he's like kind of like maybe ten is The Simpsons. Like watch the old oh, classic Simpsons because that to me was like I learned a whole language of yes, a whole sensibility you know that's still ingrained from like you know. That was around the age I started watching it. You got so really, and listen. When will you let them see Pause of Fury? How to, is that a professional segue to help you promote <laughs> what we're here to? I mean, really? Come on. Well, now, this is why one, I am. That one's good for all ages. That's right. All ages <laughs> will be in the theaters. That I do look forward to the day when you know he'll watch something that has my voice. And I, I have a niece and nephew. The nephew is about to turn three, and she's about to turn six. My niece, and I think like this will be like the first experience for them if they get to go watch this movie where they can kind of understand that, like that's you know me even if they if it doesn't quite make sense to them how it's all working like they can watch it and hear my voice and know that know that it's me i'm excited about that my i had to tell my nieces that i don't live inside of a television right they 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 were just like oh well, if we want to see uncle rob he lives he lives in there super box. little they they thought i lived in the Aww. box which is very <laughs> sweet. Oh, the other thing is, you're the per. I think you were the perfect age to become a father. By the way, I know. Look, yeah. everybody can be a father anyday, but like I did it at the exact same age you are, mm-hmm. and I look back oh, on good. it going, "Thank God I did it when I did," because the energy. I see a huge difference. My brother was almost 15 years later, mm. and just you will experience the, your relationship with your son in a whole different way. It's I for me the perfect nexus of appropriate mm, right. father generational time. Yeah. But also emotionally you're 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 still a super young man. That's and a really good point. That's a really yeah. That's great. I love that. It's funny, I mean it's funny when you um I mean yeah he's ten months now and he's getting, you know, kind of playful and stuff and you kind of tap into this like child 
energy that you you know that's been long right. dormant. Yeah, but I'm glad it's still there, and I can remember you know, and I see so much of my like my little self in him too, which is amazing. So because it's kind of like oh, he wants to do that. I totally understand how he feels. He wants to climb all over on everything. You know, it's like, oh right. Whittley Whittley tells you he wants to go to. Wants you to schlep him to Second City on the weekends. Oh, I'll totally do that. I mean, that yeah, that does sound like a schlep, but he'll love it. He'll love it. You're a Beatles guy, aren't you? Yeah, I love the Beatles. Yeah, me too. I just got to go. To, I went to Abbey Road while I was here. Oh, I've never done it. Next time you're here, all you have to do is ask. I got to go in Studio Two, and 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 there's these two pianos standing there. They're like the Beatles pianos. There's a Challen piano, it's called, and the Mrs. Mills piano which is like this kind of tack piano. They're on a million Beatles songs and you could just walk up to them and play them. Oh, it's so insane. I mean, it's kind of like you could like go and like run your fingers over the Mona Lisa. Like that's exactly what it's like. These things are accessible. You're, you're allowed to interact with them. It makes no sense. It's insane. So that was, yeah, I, I, I kind of wasn't even in my body during that experience. I kind of, I have pictures from that day, but I, I was, it was too much. I was, and the guy, there were two, these two really great guys giving us the tour. And as soon as we started the tour, I started asking them about like one of the old desks that the Beatles, you know, first started recording on. And then they, they changed the whole nature of the whole tour because they were like, oh, you're actually like a huge nerd. And we're going to you know, like talk to you about all the gear. So we were just yeah. talking about compressors and everything the whole time. My wife and my mom were there like with their eyes rolling back in their heads. But it was, it was so much fun. Oh, God, what a great. Oh, it was magical. I mean, I think that to me was like the closest thing I could ever have to like a total religious experience because it's so immediate. It's like all that music really actually just happened in that room it, that came to life right there. You're in the space where it happened with the instruments. It's just like so surreal. Totally surreal. I, um, have you ever seen Paul or on tour? No. McCartney? Never been anywhere near him, no. Oh. Oh, he's the nicest did man. Did you who's had you ever spend lived. time with him? I'll give you, uh, and then we'll we'll sign off with this. This is um, I got Lauren is friendly with yes. everybody in the world, right? And he invited me to uh, a lunch with with Paul. Amazing. And Paul was there with um, Stella. Music was playing, and at a certain point during lunch, um, Obla di Obla da came on. And I and I had that moment of like, <laughs> oh my god! I'm looking at Paul McCartney and Hearing him. the Beatles are playing. And I'm like, does he even notice? It, does he care? Is it like it's is too it just, he's too used to it? Like, is it even on his radar? And and there was this moment where I caught him singing along Aww. with the song. Yeah, and he looked up and saw that I saw it, and then he got Aww. like super embarrassed. Oh, and then I smiled, and then he smiled, and <laughs> and the the Amazing. the party w- was singing was um. So if you want some fun, take oh bloody blah da. So he says, that's what I saw, yeah. caught him singing. And he goes, you know, I don't even know what the lyric means. It was just an ad lib. <laughs> yeah. And his daughter says, Dad, you know it meant take drugs. <laughs> All right. I hope you survived. I was really fun, though. I learned so much when I have people on the show who I've not really known, but I know their work so well. So anytime I have somebody like Michael on, um, I end up learning a ton and I feel like I've made a new friend. Maybe I should do a f- podcast about me wanting a new friend. Oh, wait a minute. God damn Conan O'Brien. He takes all the good ideas. Anyway, you got questions? I got answers. Let's hit the lowdown line. 
hello, you've reached literally in our lowdown line, where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe. 323-570-4551. So have at it. Here's the beep. Hey, Rob. This is Fred from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Has there ever been a project you've worked on that you were initially reluctant to accept but later came to love, or alternatively, a project you worked on you were initially excited about and came to deeply regret being associated with? Love the podcast. Hear from you later. (laughs) Fred, that's a genius question. Um, Except there's a third option that you didn't mention. Very reluctant to be involved with. Decide to do it. And then end up ambivalent. (laughs) Um, That would be Youngblood. There are a lot of hockey players that love Youngblood. I haven't seen it in years. It may be better than I remember it. They asked me and asked me and asked me and asked me and threw money. They did everything. And I was like, I don't know. I don't love. I mean, I like hockey fine. And I kept turning it down and turning it down and turning it down and turning it down. And and finally I did it. And I had had a fun enough time doing it. Um, And there are people who love it. And that's that's always great. But that was one I remember that I kind of was like, "Mm." Um, St. Elmo's Fire. I I was kind of ambivalent about doing and ended up loving it and loving the movie. And the movie ends up being a, a, a really important movie to me and to anybody who came up in that era. So I'm glad I did it. Those those would really be the would be the only the only ones I think particularly because it was a time when I was younger and maybe didn't have the kind of experience that I have now where I know that there are no guarantees with anything so I go into every project with you know I think a pretty gimlet eyed sense of what the possible ceiling is in the best of times and what the probably the the, the worst outcome might be. <laughs> as well if it doesn't go well but when you're a kid you don't know that so you're, you're always trying to overthink stuff anyway thanks for the question love tulsa that's where i shot the outsiders um keep listening we'll be back next week on literally thank you so much for listening as always uh don't forget to subscribe to the whole season uh, because we have great guests coming up and a five-star review if you like what you heard on apple keeps the lights on here and we uh love the support thank you and i will see you all next week You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced by me, Rob Schulte, with help from associate producer Sarah Bagar. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. Our research is done by Alyssa Grawl. The podcast is executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Adam Sachs, Jeff Ross, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. All of the music you hear is by Devin Bryant. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Literally with Rob Lowe. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher.
They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.